All right, let's uh, turn in our Bibles this morning to Numbers chapter 13. We'll be reading a lot out of God's Word, so if you have your Bible, please open that to Numbers 13. If you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, Numbers 13 is found right at about page 167. We're coming to another extremely sad moment in the history of Israel again. They make a terrible mistake in this chapter and they suffer a lot. And it's important to study this because it's still possible for us to make a similar mistake. And we don't want to do that. So let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon your word. I thank you that your word tells the whole story. It gives the good and the bad. It tells of the victories of your people and the defeats. Thank you for not sugarcoating truth. And I pray that we'd be those that would learn from the mistakes so that we wouldn't repeat them. Bless our time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord had amazing plans for the nation of Israel. He was going to bless them abundantly. And those plans were revealed to Moses way back at the burning bush incident, which Moses then shared with the people of Israel. Put it up on the screen. This is what the Lord had planned for Israel. To Moses, he said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up from that land to a good and large land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Notice what God told them all in advance. I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. Awesome. He said, I'm going to bring you to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. I have these incredible plans for you. I'll deliver you, and I'll lead you to this promised land. But notice that God also told him in advance that there would be challenges in the promised land. There'd be a big sign over the entrance to the promised land that said, no vacancies. There'd be enemies in the land. He said to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and all those other ites. (laughs) There would be enemies, there would be challenges that you have to face. Everyone knew all of this in advance. So here in Numbers chapter 13, the nation of Israel is at the border of the promised land. They're getting ready to go in. But everything goes south. Twelve spies 
are chosen out of all Israel, one spy for each of the 12 tribes. They are going to be sent into the promised land on a reconnaissance mission. They're going to scout out the land to get the layout of the land. They're given their mission in verse 17 of Numbers chapter 13. It says, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. So go scout out the land. You 12 spies go out, go from north to south, go all through the land, check out the layout of the land. Tell us about the fruitfulness of the land. If possible, bring some samples back with you. Scout out the inhabitants of the land. Are there many? Are there few? Are they weak? Are they strong? Look out the cities. Are they simple towns and villages, or are they fortified cities? Now, I get it. I get it. It's uh, prudent to send spies out to scout a land that you're about to go into. But think about it. They would only be confirming what God already told them. God already told them the land was going to be fruitful. God already told them that there would be ites in the land. They knew that all in advance. So this was confirmation. You know, sometimes you can be so prudent that you get in trouble. They could have just waited for the Lord to direct them. So the spies went out and they accomplished the mission. Look at verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. They went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Verse 23, then they came to the valley of Eshkol and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and the figs. So they go out and they spend 40 days scouting out the land and they confirm it's a great land. The fruit is incredible. One cluster of grapes takes two men to carry on a pole. Pomegranates, all of these awesome things. And then they also did notice that there were enemies in the land. And specifically, they noticed the sons of Anak, the Anakim. These were giants. These were giants like the giant named Goliath. Huge man, nine feet tall. Giant, tough characters in the land. Now, it's one thing to be told that there's enemies in the land, but to see them with your own eyes. So after the 40 days, the spies return. The congregation is all excited. Everyone's gathered. There's going to be a great report. 
And they get the good news first. Verse 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So the good news first, it's an awesome land. We saw it. The fruit's amazing. God was right. It flows with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. And everyone in the congregation probably went, yeah, we love grapes. Awesome. This is going to be great. And then the bad news. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites. The Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. We saw big guys. We saw a big army. We didn't see little towns and unwalled villages. We saw large fortified cities. At this point, the congregation erupted in fear. It became an absolute ruckus. They're trembling, crying out in fear. Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, I love Caleb. He's one of the 12 spies. Man, this guy is so awesome. Everyone's freaking out, and he says, no, we can take him. Let's go. God's given us this land. Let's move forward. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. They said the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its habitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw giants. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. Now notice how fear often leads to irrationality and exaggeration. So this is a tough land. It devours its inhabitants. No, it's not. It's filled with fruit that its inhabitants can devour. It's a beautiful land. Everyone in the land is a giant. We look like grasshoppers. Ten of the twelve on that committee literally said to all the people, we cannot do this. The people are too strong. You know, someone defined a committee as a group of people who individually can do nothing and collectively decide nothing can be done. That's what like 10 of these spies were. We can't do it. And unfortunately, fear and discouragement always spreads more quickly and more widely 
than encouragement and faith. The whole congregation gets infected. Verse 1 of chapter 14 says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They're all crying. They can't sleep. You got an entire nation up all night wailing. The next morning, verse 2, it says, All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Unbelievable. Notice some of the things they said. They said there in verse 2, if only we had died in the wilderness. In other words... It would be better for us to die in the wilderness than to die attempting to take the promised land that God gave us. They said, our children are going to be victims. Our wives and children will be killed along with us. We want a new leader. Fire Moses. We want a different leader who will make us turn around on our merry way and go back to Egypt. Verse 5 says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, just beside themselves. Verse 6, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord, they cry out. Don't fear the people of the land. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Don't rebel. Don't listen to the words of discouragement. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Kill them. There's four men out of a nation of two million plus who would go. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. The rest of the people are picking up their stones, ready to kill them. And that's when the end of verse 10 happens. The glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Now just picture that scene in your mind. God's been there the whole time. He's heard everything that's been said. He's seen it all. But at this moment, his glory appears. Right there in the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord is not happy. 
And the Lord essentially will say to that first generation, Oh, you don't want the promised land. Then you won't go into the promised land. Skip ahead to verse 26, chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Josiah, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. So you said it would be better to die in the wilderness than to go into the promised land. Okay, you'll die in the wilderness. Every person age 20 and up of the first generation that comes out of the land of Egypt would die in the wilderness. Verse 31, the Lord goes on, Your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I'll bring them in. And they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. You were so worried about your kids and that they'd die through it. Well, guess what? Your kids are going to go in, but you won't. Verse 33, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years. And you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do this to this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. 40 days you went in and you spy and you come back with this bad report. You'll be punished one year for each day. 40 years. 40 years. That first generation would not go into the promised land. Instead, they would do laps and wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until the first generation died off. I did a few numbers. That would be the death of about 1.2 million Israelites over 40 years. 85 funerals every day. Seven funerals every hour for 40 years. Wandering around in the wilderness until they would die. Man, you talk about missing God's best. Missing the promised land. Refusing it. This is what they got. A terrible moment in the history of Israel. Now, listen carefully. This experience in Israel's history is symbolic of the Christian experience. Christian salvation 
is redemption. You know, before you come to Christ, you're a slave to Satan, sin, and death. You give your life to Jesus and you're redeemed. You become a child in the family of God. You're redeemed out of Egypt. You're saved. The Lord brings you out. And as Christians, we are on our way to the promised land. But understand something. The promised land, contrary to some of the old hymns, does not represent heaven. Though we're all going to go to heaven. But in the promised land in the Old Testament, there's lots of fights and war that take place. There's no fights in heaven. The promised land represents the victorious Christian life that God wants you to live. It represents receiving and enjoying God's best for you today, right now in this life. As a Christian, you've been saved, you've been redeemed, and God wants you to live a glorious life. A life that is fruitful, a life that is effective, a life that is free from addictions and besetting sins, a life that is characterized by healthy, vibrant relationships in marriage, parenting, friendships, a life that knows what true priority is, a life that knows what to avoid and what to pursue. That's what God has for you. Big plans. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We, Christian, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you realize if you know Christ, there is a whole life of good works, a purpose for you to live that God has for you. Jesus, in John chapter 10, said, I've come that they may have life, and that they may have it more what? Abundantly. Do you understand Christianity is not just you get saved and that's it. Christianity is following the Lord Jesus Christ into the promised land here. Achieving maximum fruitfulness. Experiencing his joy and his peace. That's what the Lord has for you. Now listen, promised land living is not with a, without great challenges. There are obstacles to it. There are giants. There are ites. There are all sorts of things that you will face as a Christian. There are things that you'll have to battle. Persecution, attacks of the enemy, trials and tribulations. You will always struggle with your old sinful nature. There are big-time battles, but the Bible promises that you can overcome all of that, all of that, and live that victorious Christian life that God has for you. The problem is, many, many Christians forfeit all of that. They get saved and they wander for 40 years. They don't enter into everything that God asks for them. Charles Spurgeon said, Most Christians concerning the river of experience are only up to the ankles. 
Some others have waited until the stream is up to the knees. A few find it chest deep. And only a few, oh how few, find it to be a river to swim in, the bottom of which they cannot touch. I would ask you, is your experience of the Christian life ankle deep? Is it knee deep? Is it chest deep? Or have you dove in? Are you and your family experiencing God's best? There are keys that come out of this story to promised land living that I want to mention. And the first key would be this. Keep God in the equation for your life, no matter what you face. Keep God at the forefront. If God is at the forefront of your thinking in every situation that you face, you're going to have, you're going to have faith, not fear. I want you to think about this for just a moment. All 12 spies went on the same trip, did they not? They all said the same stuff. They all say, saw the same fruit. They saw the same giants. They all say, saw the same cities that were fortified. They saw it all. But two groups came to opposite conclusions. Ten spies said, nope, can't do it. Two spies said, let's go. Why such different conclusions? Ten spies left God out of the equation. They saw all of the giants and all of the challenges, and they said, we can't face this by ourselves. We're so weak. Two spies kept God in the equation. We have God with us. God's given us this land. Let's go. Ten people saw big people and a little God. Joshua and Caleb saw big people and a much bigger God. My brother and sister in Christ, that will be the difference in your life as to whether you wander around or live in the promised land. How big is God? And is he in your equation Everyone who does great things for the Lord, everyone who receives everything that they should get from the Lord in this life are the people that have a big view of God and a big faith in him. Think of David. Remember David? Little shepherd boy. He's tasked to bring lunch to his older brothers on the front lines. He arrives on the scene and there's this big, ugly giant named Goliath who comes out every morning to challenge the bravest warriors of the Israelite army. And there they terrify, there they cower in fear. Little shepherd boy David, he walks up, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? <laughs> Defying the armies of the living God. How dare they defy the armies of the living God? And little shepherd boy David, who couldn't wear the armor, it was too big for him, goes to a stream, picks out five stones, and takes out Goliath. By the way, why five stones? Because we find out later that Goliath had four brothers. 
David was going after all of them. (laughs) And you also read in that story, after he takes out the Goliath, the giant, David goes running straight at the entire Philistine army all by himself. Finally, all of the brave soldiers join him. How big's your God? Are you that one that cowers in fear and it knocks you out of enjoying everything that God would have for you? You know, just do something for me. Just picture in your mind the greatest fear you might have. Maybe it's an issue that you're going through right now. Maybe it's a financial problem, a relationship problem, a besetting sin. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you're paralyzed because you have fear of somebody, something, some circumstance. God is way bigger. Way bigger. Always keep God in the equation. Always. Now here's another key. Always believe and obey God's word. Always. Always. God's word to them was very plain. I showed it to you on the screen when we began, right? God told them ahead of time, I'm getting you out of Egypt and I'm taking you into the promised land and there's going to be a bunch of enemies in there. Don't worry, I'm giving you the land. They didn't believe it and they certainly didn't obey it. And because of that unbelief, It cost them the promised land. Listen carefully. God's word gives us all the information that we need to know to live in the promised land, to live that victorious Christian life. All of the commands, all of it. Believe every command and obey it. You know, the Bible gives us incredible commands on how to have a wonderful marriage relationship, how to date, who to date, friendships, how to do your business, how to live life, how to be an incredible Christian witness. All of that is there. Believe it. Obey it. Even the tough commands. You know, sometimes we're commanded things that seem to go against conventional wisdom. The world might laugh at it. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus said, look, you want happiness? You want to find life? Give your life away. Take up your cross. Follow me, Jesus said. Surrender your life fully to me and... Give your life away for me and for others. You'll find it. Abundant life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a God for money. Now, this is one of the major things. This is one of the biggest issues even in Christians' life after they get saved. Will I spend my life serving and worshiping money? 
or will I spend my life serving and worshiping God? Which one is it? Serve God. Let him be number one. How about this command? Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, scriptures like that seem so backwards according to the world. The world says, look out for yourself, man. Promote yourself. Boost up yourself. The Lord says, forget about yourself. Bless others. Be a servant to others. All of that can seem so strange. But I promise you, if you believe God's word and obey it, you'll live in the promised land. You know, following God's commands, and I I like to think of it this way. It's like living in um, God's bubble of blessing. God has a bubble of blessing. And you know what defines the bubble? All these different commands that we find in scripture. And you know where all the blessings flow? In the bubble. Now, those blessings are always flowing in the bubble. They never stop flowing. But you can get outside the bubble. And then the blessings don't flow in your life. Stay in the bubble. Believe what God has said and do it. And then there would be another key to promised living. And this is so important. Surround yourselves with victorious believers. Surround yourselves with people who love God and are going to follow God. You know, there's going to be a majority crowd in your life always, always. That tries to influence you the other way. There will always be voices. Maybe it's the voice of discouragement or fear. And look how fast that spreads. Or maybe it's somebody that says you don't need God. And it can spread so fast. Don't listen to the majority. Find a minority. Surround yourselves with people like Joshua and Caleb. Wouldn't you like to be friends with Joshua and Caleb? Unbelief is like a bad cold. It's highly contagious. You can get it from others and then spread it to your family and your friends and their community. Don't don't do that. You surround yourselves with solid, dependable, brothers and sisters in Christ that aren't going to just tell you what you want to hear. They're going to challenge you. They're going to keep you on the right path. And they're going to be your support. You know, it's interesting. 40 years later, Joshua will lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And Caleb gets to go too. And maybe you recall this story. Um, When they're about to attack Jericho, Joshua sends some spies into the city of Jericho. How many? Just two, not 12. 
the minority, the two he could trust, not the committee that says, no, can't do it. Oh, my friend, it's so important who you hang with. It is so important who you surround yourself with. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day. What day? The day approaching, the day of the return of Jesus Christ. Oh, how we need each other. Oh, how we need strong men and women of faith in our lives. Keep God in the equation. Believe and obey God's word. Surround yourself with victorious believers. And there's something else I would like to add since we are going into this Thanksgiving weekend. This Thanksgiving week. Stay thankful. You read it in the passage. You know, the the nation of Israel was known for grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron, and they're there even complaining against God. Why are we out here? Why? Listen, this Thursday is a day to give thanks intentionally. That doesn't mean you complain the rest of the year. As a Christian, you should intentionally give thanks every day for God is good, for good to you. And you protect your heart from getting bitter. And thinking, oh, God has slighted me in some way. Listen, you have eternal life. You have been redeemed. You have his presence with you. And you can experience his joy and peace now and forevermore. A spirit of thanksgiving also leads to promised land living. My brother, my sister in Christ, I would ask you just to kind of do some soul searching for yourself. Now, please understand, I'm not asking you to do soul searching for your wife or your husband sitting next to you. For yourself, yourself. Are you living in the promised land? Are you experiencing God's best for you? Or have you been wandering? wandering around been listening to the majority voices in your life paralyzed by fear oh please return to the Lord stop wandering and start walking stop meandering and start marching stop wailing and start witnessing Enter into everything that God has for you. You know, we talk a lot, or we've talked a lot today about keeping God in your, in your equation. Let me ask you, has God ever even entered the equation of your life? Has he ever entered your equation? Have you been doing life all by yourself? You know, depending on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own... Or maybe you've been very religious and you've tried every religion offered. There's only one way to get God into your life, and that's to invite him 
Invite the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Through faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for you and rose again. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus paid the price and he rose again the third day. And I'll tell you, if you put your faith and trust in him, he will come into your life. And he can be number one. And he can change you now and forever. Let's dim our lights. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, over and over again in your word, we see time and time and time again your promise of good things for your people. You promise the best. And the enemy lies. The enemy whispers in our ear, oh, you don't need that. Lord, we want the best. We want all that you have for us in this life. We want to be as fruitful as we possibly can for you. Maybe you're that Christian here this morning and you you really, you have been wandering for many, many years. Come back to him. Renew your commitment to him. Trust him. Trust him. He loves you more than anyone else could love you. He's got the biggest plan for you more than anybody else could get for you. Trust him. Resurrender your life to him. Maybe you're here this morning or you're listening online and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You've never asked him in your life. Do it right now. Don't wait another moment. Invite him. You must put your faith and trust in him. And I'll lead you in just a real simple prayer. Just cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. Wash all my sins away. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Lead me into your promised land. In Jesus' name, amen.